0: Support for the Most Accurate Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They're the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code TMAP. I love you more than I can talk about. Talk about
1: Hello and welcome to 444 is the most accurate podcast. My name is John Paulson. And normally I'm joined by Anthony Stalter, uh, but he'll be back with me on Friday to discuss the latest fantasy news, news, including the uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ascension into the first round. We'll go through my article about that. But today we're going to talk quarterbacks and uh, I'll bring on a guest here in a second. The music today uh, was more than I can talk about by the Mice. They're a uh, Cleveland band from the 80s. It's uh, it's a great little track. It only has 5,000 listens on Spotify, Uh, so it's definitely uh, flying under the radar, Uh, but I think it's super catchy. It's like a pop punk uh, song from the 80s, so check it out. I'll add it to the Most Accurate Podcast playlist, and there should be a link in the show notes for that. We decided for the month of August to uh, produce some extra pods, like three pods a week, Uh, so there's an extra pod middle of the week, Uh, bring on some of uh, my favorite uh, analysts to discuss different draft strategies. And today I'm happy to have uh, 444's own Chris Allen on the podcast to discuss his various quarterback strategy articles. He's wrote, written multiple articles for the site and wanted to have him on to talk the position. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Chris ChrisAllenFFWX. Chris, thanks for coming on.
2: Oh, John, I mean, uh, I've told this to Greg when I was on uh, TMAP beforehand, but uh, this is just a huge... I mean, just working for 4.4 has been great, but just being able to, I guess, hop on one of the podcasts that I used to listen to before I even got into being a a writer uh, is just a huge honor for me, so I appreciate you bringing me on.
1: Oh, thanks for saying that. Uh, I didn't even tell you to say that, so I I appreciate it. Um, Chris, actually, a quick story about Chris um, he wrote up some weather articles. I don't know if it was last year or year before. And so when, when, when weather hits in the fall during the season and it's Sunday morning, and I'm trying to figure out how bad it's going to be in a certain city, I'll usually hit him up and he has, uh, the weather stations, the closest to the, uh, stadium saved. So he can quickly pull it up. He's also got the, uh, the stadiums, which direction they run, north, south, east, west, so he knows if there's crosswinds or if it's going to be. A, this is the type of level of detail that you get with Chris Allen. So I'm happy to have you on today. I'd love to talk uh, quarterbacks. You've been running, writing a ton of quarterback articles for the for the site. So let's start with uh, when to draft a quarterback in your fantasy league. So this is a, basically a rundown of the entire position uh, where you go through and, and basically talk all the way from Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, all the way down to the final round guys and give the overview of your different different strategies that uh, owners can uh, can utilize. Um, let's start with those first two, because I hit you up the other day on Slack, and I'm starting to think that in the third round, if Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes are there, I'm looking at the ADP of some of these players, and there aren't a whole lot of players that I like taking as third-round picks at running back or wide receiver. And uh, Mark Andrews has the uh, diabetes concern, so I'm a little worried about him opting out potentially uh, for the COVID, uh, 19 and all that. So I I'm getting there and I'm like, okay, well, I can either take, um, let's say James Connor, or I can take potentially Alan Robinson, who I like, he's probably my favorite receiver, or I can take the number one, number two quarterback, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Holmes. I think you told me end of the third round, fourth round, you're comfortable there. Uh, you want to talk about those two a little bit and what you're, co- what you're costing yourself as an owner when you take those players?
2: Yeah. And I think that's one of the the main things that you have to consider. It's it's not to say that, uh, picking up either of those two are, are bad options. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, our like the fantasy quarterback one and then the quarterback that now has just like the one of the biggest deals in NFL history in, in, in terms of quarterbacking. So I get the excitement behind drafting both of them. But really when it comes down to drafting a fantasy quarterback, you, you always need to consider opportunity cost. And really it's not about, just about where you draft them at, but it's about what else you're giving up. I mean, what other positions are players at certain positions, your core positions, specifically running back and wide receiver, that you're giving up by picking up uh, Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes. So, I mean, just looking at – ADP from FFPC. So guys that are typically going in like the third-ish round, I mean, you're talking about at running back, uh, like James Conner, Melvin Gordon, Leonard Fournette, uh, and then at wide receiver, you're probably debating Amari Cooper, maybe Kenny Galladay, uh, maybe Odell Beckham, depending on like where you're at and like where, like how some folks are feeling uh, about, about his upcoming season. But those are the guys that are typically being drafted around them and structurally, depending on what you've done in the first couple of rounds that might inform how you want to attack either one of the running back or wide receiver positions moving forward. So it's just a lot of folks I know have been talking about, well, just grab two running backs and then just hammer wide receiver like afterwards, and then we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think that it makes some sense that if you're if you're stuck if you're stuck in a tier, and especially in the third and fourth rounds, there's just this, this glut of like wide receivers that all seem to be in like that fourth ish tier of wide receivers, where it's just I could I could sacrifice uh, if I'm in the middle of the third, I could possibly sacrifice one of those wide receivers and and possibly recoup a similar value in the fourth round by picking up. Uh, maybe I've seen AJ Brown, like fall, like into, in, into, that area sometimes mm-hmm. Calvin Ridley, some of those other guys. So I, I can, I can get it from, from that sense. Like if you, if you don't, if you think that you see a lot of those players in that same tier and you have at least a, a decent shot at picking up one of those drafting uh, one of the top quarterbacks for this upcoming season makes a little bit of sense there.
1: Yeah. I'm thinking about it from, a, uh, I was looking at my FFPC, um, Pros versus Joes draft and I started running my plan was to start running back, running back and then hit the wide receiver position uh, fairly hard. I um, well actually I was in that draft I was planning to start with a tight end. With Kelsey, since it's a tight end premium, and then go running back, running back, and then hit the receiver position pretty hard. But I'm thinking in a, in a regular draft where ne- you're not necessarily targeting a Kelsey or a Kittle. Maybe you don't end up with them, but you go running back, running back. You end up with a maybe an Aaron Jones or an Austin Eckler at the end of the second round, and maybe you took Alvin Kamara or Dalvin Cookers, you know, Clyde edwards Hilaire in the middle of the first round. Um, you're you're coming out pretty strong at running back, and then you're, you're, I'm looking at these receivers as you mentioned. You know, I like Godwin a lot. Um, but then he's probably gone. You know, you got Mike Evans, Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, Amari Cooper in that order right now on FFPC ADP. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, L. Beckham, and I'm looking at the guys going in the fourth round. I like them just as much. And so I wonder, you know, if you start running back, running back, Adam Mahomes, Adam Jackson, um, and then you, you know, maybe you get an AJ Brown as your number one receiver in the fourth round, and then maybe in the seventh round, because you're, you're you're kind of pushing your draft down, maybe you're getting a AJ Green. Uh, in the seventh round, because mm-hmm. he's been mm-hmm. lasting a long time and he has that sort of upside that if he's AJ Green still, then you're really not losing a whole lot, but you are running that risk. There's a reason he's going in that seventh round. That's that opportunity cost that you're talking about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think he laid out just like the perfect path for somebody approaching the draft in that manner because it feels like along with quarterback depth and we'll probably talk about that here over the course of the show, but wide receiver depth feels like there's a lot of value in those later rounds where you might be picking up, I mean, if it's not AJ Green, it might be Marvin Jones. If it's not Marvin Jones, it might be uh, Sammy Watkins later or Michael Hardman later. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of wide receivers where you can tell yourself a story as to how they wind up I I mean just massively out uh, like uh, beating their their adp i mean if not over the course of the season but while i mean if you're talking about from a from a redraft standpoint there should be weeks where you can harness some wide receiver one value out of them
1: yeah now uh, let's move on to the middle round guys uh the tier uh prescott watson wilson uh keller murray josh allen and you include matt ryan i might argue that he is part of the next tier but i think that's splitting hairs uh the the two tiers kind of butt up against each other and i think ryan is the border there um Rushing upside is the key with this group, and even Ryan runs a little bit. Uh, looking at his numbers from last year, um, f- you say fifth and sixth round is ideal for this group. So, what? How is how is somebody that's going to target one of these players uh, approaching the rest of his draft?
2: Well, if you're going to wind up uh, like picking one of those one of one of those guys, I mean, you have to. Uh, you're looking at just just massive offensive firepower, like when you're looking at the respective offenses, I mean, almost every single one of those guys, uh, their respective offenses finished either at or above uh, neutral passing rate, like across the league. I think uh, 2019's average uh, for all 32 teams was around 59.5% in terms of neutral passing rate. And all, I mean, all those guys, I mean, Deshaun Watson well over, Dak Prescott, I think was sitting, I mean, sitting right at or above around 60%. I mean, Russell Wilson still above, even with uh, the splits with the like with. Chris Carson, Uh, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen—I mean, all those guys. I mean, they're right around like where you would want. But as you mentioned, I mean, rushing is is really the key. I mean, to to all of that, and that's really where a lot of folks, uh, especially in 2020, have now started to look for. Well, if I can't get Lamar Jackson. Uh, In the third round, can I get the next Lamar Jackson in this other, in this other group of quarterbacks and wind up, I guess, beating out their fifth, sixth, seventh round ADP uh, and see if they can tie Lamar Jackson because with all the regression discussion and things of that nature. So, If there's if there's a chance, I mean, that's that's where you're trying to see if you can if you can match whatever uh, Lamar Jackson did the previous season, because we've seen over the past couple of past couple of years, it's those rushing quarterbacks that wind up really outbeating like their their ADP I mean Dak this past year I mean Lamar Jackson of course I mean in years prior it's been a lot of those rushing quarterbacks that have brought a, a lot of that the the hashtag Konami code like out like a really uh, shown how powerful that can really be when it comes to drafting quarterbacks so a lot of those guys that you're you're drafting there in the fourth fifth sixth round i mean that's what you're shooting for you're shooting to see if you can find this year's lamar jackson but it's at a much more higher cost than what you would have had to have paid for either somebody like dak prescott or lamar jackson just a year ago
1: yeah because they were going outside the top 12 and i think outside the top 15 even in the drafts most of the drafts i was in uh and they were to the top values last year for that reason um so the the issue with taking one of these guys is that you're probably giving up an opportunity to draft a receiver in that in that uh, fifth or sixth or maybe even seventh round, depending on how you know quarterback heavy your draft is. Um, so, but maybe you got one in the third that you know we've, we've passed on Mahomes and and Jackson, or you missed out on them. Now you have that extra receiver there. You still have two running backs, and you still you know pounded um, a receiver for the most part in the middle here while taking a break to grab one of these. Uh, high upside uh quarterback so on to mid mid round is the new late round quarterback what do you mean by that so
2: in in years past, a lot of a lot of drafts really like played out in a similar fashion, where you would have uh, the the mainstays or like the the, the I guess the guys that really wanted to draft their quarterbacks early, regardless of who it was or what value they brought to the team. They they didn't really subscribe to the late round theory, and that's where you would see just the I guess the I call them the legendary quarterbacks. I mean like the your. Uh, your Drew Breeses your your Aaron Rodgers I mean I mean those guys that would typically go up at the front of the dra- towards the front of your drafts and then afterwards you would have some of those mid-tier guys so Matt Ryan uh, Carson Wentz from you know from a couple of years ago that started to creep up in there Russell Wilson of course Deshaun I mean it's like so they would follow like somewhere after that Tom Brady so on and so forth and then you just have essentially everybody else the Kirk Cousins of the world so on and so forth but the, the main section or like the the main part of that quarterback drafting would be somewhere in like the eighth or ninth round essentially where most of those guys would get drafted. This season, not so much. Uh, actually, one of the uh, one of the stats that I found while doing some research for my overvalued quarterbacks is that uh, in 20, uh, 2018 and twenty nineteen, uh, there were about ten quarterbacks that would be drafted by the eighth or ninth round. Uh, in this season, that's actually that's up to fifteen. So if, by that time, once you get into depending on where you call them the middle rounds or starting to border into late rounds, by that time, where you think you might be able to get a quarterback one. Uh, you're really like at the at the back of the at the at the back end of the bus in terms of drafting a quarterback. Instead of looking at trying to get a Matt Ryan, a Carson Wentz, or any of those uh, quarterbacks that you would typically draft in the mid, mid in the middle rounds. I mean, at that point, you're you're staring down Philip Rivers something it's something in that tier which makes it uh not necessarily a a bad position for you to be in but it's just not as uh, you don't you don't capture as much upside as you would with some of the other quarterbacks that are getting drafted earlier because again a lot of those rushing quarterbacks are now being are now a part of the uh the, the higher tier that's getting drafted earlier so now a I guess essentially with the with the depth, also with rookies, I mean with a lot of the veterans that still trying to uh, capture that Super Bowl before they hang them up. There's just so much depth at the quarterback position this season that a lot of those guys are being pushed up into the early rounds and the markets have, uh, I guess, we as drafters are having a hard time adjusting to that value because there's just so many for us to choose from.
1: Uh, you list off the guys you're talking about, Tom Brady. Um, I think that he was QB 12 last year and that was with a pretty substandard set of weapons around him. I'm interested to see, you know, he's joining a new offense, but I think this whole new offense is probably going to be designed around, around him, Mm -hmm. uh, and what he wants to do. Uh, but I mean, he's got Chris Godwin, he's got Mike Evans, he's got, uh, Rob Gronkowski, he's got OJ Howard. And, uh, it's just as, this is a very stacked deck now for Brady compared to what he's been dealing with in new England for the last couple of years. Um, the guy I want to mention is Drew Brees because he's been the, the player that I've been targeting, and that's my draft plan is to to go in. I might end up with a Mahomes or a Jackson, or I might end up with one of those middle-round uh, running backs that we discussed earlier uh, if they fall or if my team is not looking the way I thought it would after a certain number of rounds, and I just want to take a, a good quarterback. But Drew Brees is the guy I want, and it's because since he's he's typically a top five, top seven guy off the board, this year it's 10 through 12 he's going off the board. And that's making him a cheaper option now, and you can actually do a Drew Brees committee. Um, I mean, his his away home-away splits are, are fairly insane. Over the last two seasons, he's averaged uh, 327 yards, 2.9 touchdowns, 0.31 interceptions, and 24.7 fantasy points in 13 home games. Uh, on the road, 224 yards, 1.8 touchdowns, 0.33 interceptions, and 17.3 fantasy points in 12 games on the road. And some of those are okay performances. Um but you can split them even further into favorable and unfavorable road matchups, and I just did that uh, for my article, which is uh, entitled "Why Drew Brees' uh, Committee Strategy Works in 2020." And you can you can pretty much tell from his schedule what weeks you're not going to want to start him. It's when he's on the road uh, against a pretty tough defense, and you're going to want to find a, you know a streaming option that week or have somebody in the. Uh, in the back pocket. And the guy that I like is Ryan Tannehill. I'll get into more, you know, more into him a little bit. Um, what do you think about that sort of strategy? I know, I know that Drew Brees in maybe home and friends and family leagues, home leagues, he's might be going a little bit earlier than what he's going in these industry leagues. Uh, but what do you think about using two picks in the position and, and having a, a second quarterback on the roster? If it's, let's say it's an 18, 18 round uh, draft.
2: No, oh, I think that's I think that's really viable, and I think you laid out the case for why you'd want to have an anchor like Drew Brees, like at, as your as your starter. But then, if you can maneuver around some of those weeks, if you can see them coming, then having a backup plan such that you can. I guess avoid some of those negative performances I think is the way to go and when it comes to New Orleans uh, so they finished 2019 with a 62.1 percent neutral passing rate so that's above average like for the league and actually before the thumb injury I think for the first three games they were sitting at somewhere around 65 percent so well above I mean they were just pass 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 and when it comes and when it comes to volume I mean that's really what we want and so if really they're one of the few teams looking at looking across the league that aren't as impacted as many of the off-season changes uh, that for a lot of other teams. I mean, they haven't had uh, too many changes at their, at the coaching level quarterbacks coming back. I mean, they still have Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. So they're coming back healthy. I mean, so really, I mean, not as many changes. I mean, only the, uh, the addition of Emmanuel Sanders, which is for, for fantasy purposes, a great thing since now they should have a reliable wide receiver two within that offense. At least that's the assumption. I mean, other than that, I mean, we don't have too many other concerns regarding the new Orleans saints offense. Whereas, Almost every other, I mean, the other two teams like within their division, so both Tampa and Carolina, they're dealing with changes all over the place. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, new quarterback in in both situations, like new coaching staff for Carolina. So with with that continuity, I mean, I'm thinking that New Orleans really has a chance to get off to a good start like within the season because they won't be having to deal with any of these changes. I mean, most of those guys are coming in understanding what they need to do from a playbook perspective, what the, uh, what the coach expects of them. What Drew Brees expects of them, so I think they have a, a sneaky chance to kind of get off to a hot start.
1: Yeah, and I've got uh, it all laid out in the in the article. You, you know, I even include ten quarterbacks that you could pair with him. Um, my choice is uh, is Tannehill, but um, that's my optimal choice. But there's a number of other guys that I'd be happy with. In the uh, Pros vs Joe's draft, I got sniped on, on Drew Brees and ended up with uh, Carson Wentz. So I might need to be writing a Carson Wentz committee article uh here soon. I ended up with cart <laughs> uh, Wenson Tannehill uh in that one. So I haven't even looked how their schedules line up, but that's the way it goes. Okay, we're gonna cover uh, breakout candidates and late round streaming options after this word from our sponsor. Hey guys, if you're tired
0: of taking a straight razor to your beanbag and having it look like a scene out of a horror show, listen up. Manscaped has you covered. They're the best in men's below the belt grooming. They just redesigned their electric trimmer. It's called the Lawnmower 3.0, and the Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months on this bad boy. They've perfected it, trust me. I've used it. Nice, close, comfortable shave. The thing even has an LED light. It illuminates the grooming area so you can see what you're doing. We've all been there before. We're trying to clean things up a little bit, and it winds up being a bit of a disaster because, again, you're dealing with a straight razor to the old Huevos Rancheros. You know what I mean? So stop with the dangerous weapons on your family jewels and try Manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at Manscaped.com. Again, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the code t-m-a-p check out the new and improved lawnmower 3.0 all
1: right back with chris allen uh in your article six quarterbacks primed to breakout uh which you define as a player who uh outperforms his draft position by five spots that's a breakout uh what are the characteristics of a breakout quarterback Uh,
2: At least for me, the things that I'm looking for uh, in terms of a profile for a breakout candidate uh, would be they're part of an offense with a high neutral passing rate. So at least for me, some of the research that I've done regarding neutral passing rate, and that's why I reference it so much, is, is twofold. Uh, First, this is more of a qualitative uh, approach to it because neutral passing rate at least gives us an idea for how the teams want to operate. Like if you take away the noise of, well, they're behind by so much, they're ahead by so much, and you just look at what the offensive philosophy is for both the quarterback and the coordinator slash head coach, if they want to pass or if they want to pass at a above average rate, then I would like to invest in that team. So at least if. We're talking if the score is not a factor, the team wants to pass, I want to invest in that offense. Uh, But another thing, another part of it is that uh, the... Uh, research that I looked into over the past few seasons, teams that tend to pass at a higher neutral rate in between the twenties continue that behavior in the red zone. So when it comes to quarterback scoring, scoring, I mean, of course, we rely a lot on the yardage, but we really need the touchdowns as well. I mean, we would prefer that they get the touchdowns along with three hundred, you know, three hundred plus yards passing week in and week out. So uh, on on average, uh, more more teams wind up uh, continuing that passing rate like within the, within the red zone. Now. Of course, you can have to factor in red zone efficiency, so on and so forth, but at least the attempts are what we're looking for there. Uh, so that's that's another part that goes into looking at teams with a high neutral passing rate. Uh, the other part uh, is, of course, the, the rushing portion of it. So in 2019, there are... Eight, uh, eight of the 10 rushing quarterbacks, or at least uh, quarterbacks with the highest number of attempts within the red zone, eight of those uh, wound up in the top 12 for fantasy scoring for the entire season. So we're talking, I mean, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, of course, uh, but Dak Prescott, even Carson Wentz, Russell Wilson. I mean, so a lot of those guys that were getting those, again, those money touches within the red zone just on the ground. I mean, were those guys that wound up really helping us out like within our leagues throughout the entire 2019 season. So that correlation between Rushing, as we just as we discussed earlier, I mean, is really what you're trying to harness when it comes to when it comes to drafting some of those quarterbacks. So, but of course, we're not going to get those guys. I mean, because we're talking about breakout candidates, and these guys have essentially already broken out. I mean, but mm-hmm. that's what we're looking for. I mean, we're looking for guys that have that potential to not necessarily uh, be Lamar Jackson, but even if they uh, acquire some of those some of that yardage on scrambles, uh, sneaks, things of that nature, uh, then that's I mean, that's another another thing that we want to look at. Um, The last thing uh, that I at least want to point out is the potential for negative game scripts. Uh, So, I mean, regardless of how a team wants to operate, if they get pulled into a shootout because their defense can't really match up to opposing offenses, then that's really another team that we want to target. So I mean, regardless of again, if it's a, a good offense or bad offense, if their defense really isn't uh, is uh, is not allowing them to get off the field, then that means more volume for us. So a lot of the defenses that were poor last year, while a lot of them one they wound up getting healthy over the offseason, they added players during free agency in the draft. They're still at least I think we have enough using uh, enough information using our adjusted fantasy points allowed. Uh, that's a metric over at four for four. Uh, definitely check that out if you get a chance, but at least it gives us a starting place as to what defenses we want to target, like the the Falcons, the Panthers. I mean, some of the the Bengals. I mean, some of those guys just with uh, those poor defenses that w- that we can target. So at least those those are three parts that I, I look for in breakout candidates.
1: And then the the three guys that you highlight. I mean, you talk about a number of guys in the in the article, but the three guys that you uh, went into, I would say, greater detail uh, were Joe Burrow, uh, who I also have ranked, I think, higher than average. I think that this is going to be a high-volume offense. It's going to run a lot of plays, uh, and it's going to try to play very quickly. Um, we can talk about Joe Burrow. Uh, Daniel Jones is another uh, very interesting rookie season where he just tore it up on the road and was terrible at home, so I don't know if that's going to continue, if there's a New York uh, problem. Uh, with Because uh, I think Eli Manning might have had similar splits. Um but the other uh player that you mentioned in detail is Gardner Minshew. So you wanna can you talk a little bit about each of those players?
2: Sure, yeah. I mean I guess I I felt like I was obliged to put Burrow into my article since I I live an hour outside of Cincinnati. Um, I lived I lived there for about five or six years, and I actually graduated from from the University of Cincinnati. So it's just it's it's kind of uh, a team that I begrudgingly uh, I'm a fan of. Uh, But uh, either way, um, uh, yeah, because the thing that I the thing that I keep coming back to is in Week One against Seattle in Seattle with Andy Dalton. Uh, the Bengals actually passed at a seventy-nine point five percent neutral passing rate. That's ridiculous. Like in, I almost, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet, at no point in uh, Marvin Lewis's tenure did they ever operate <laughs> in that manner. But like in the very first week with a new head coach, they come out firing in Seattle against Russell Wilson, and they were within a touchdown of actually winning in Seattle. Now, I know it was raining and Andy Dalton wound up coughing up the ball and fumbling and like completely losing the game for them. But to me, that signaled what the offensive philosophy is going to be moving forward. But with Andy Dalton as your quarterback, they can't execute that same way. So think of how Cliff Kingsbury couldn't really make it happen with Josh Rosen. I mean, he really needed a guy like Kyler Murray in order to do it. And so I think this is a similar tandem where a quarterback can now be the extension of the coach on the field. And that's what I see with Joe Burrow how he can create out of out of structure, his deep passing under pressure, how he can adjust, under, I guess, under pressure with the way that their office of, offensive lines look right now, and also he can run. I mean, he had 100, mm-hmm. I think it was between 150, 120 attempts uh, his last season at LSU. I mean, it's not like Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, or any of the other uh, quote-unquote rushing quarterbacks that have come out over the past couple of seasons, but it's enough to get me excited about that offense, enough to get me excited about Burrow as a potential breakout candidate because of all the things that we just mentioned. I mean, having a high neutral passing rate, the Bengals have shown that that's how they want to operate as an offense with Burrow. We know that he can, uh, he has both the passing acumen to make it as a quarterback in the NFL, but also he can rush. And of course, I mean, the Bengals defense, I mean, they spent a ton of draft capital this past season on um, trying to make up for their holes on on the defensive side. So I can see them getting pulled into a number of negative game scripts, especially when you're playing against Ben Roethlisberger and Lamar Jackson at least twice a season. So both I mean, both potentials, I mean, both potentials for uh, for uh, negative game scripts. I mean, that's definitely a guy that I want to uh, I would like to invest in, if at all possible, if you're if you employ the late ground quarterback strategy at all. I mean, it's definitely a guy that I, I would like to I would like to draft and pick up. And the same thing for Gardner Minshew. Now, with Minshew, I know there was uh, fairly along the same lines as with Josh Allen. I mean, they, they made up most of their runs on scrambles, not necessarily design runs. But Again, and I don't remember the gentleman's name, but it's one of the beat reporters for the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, that would call Minshew scrambling, he would call it the stash dash, which I thought was just absolutely perfect for, for Gardner Minshew. But regardless, I mean, he still wound up with, I think, well over, I think just over 200 yards rushing. I think it was like 233, if I'm not mistaken, but no touchdowns. That's the thing that I keep coming back to is the fact that with all that rushing, and the fact that uh, with the number of games played, he was actually just outside of the top twelve in terms of red zone uh, red zone attempts. It's no no touchdowns. So if we if we assume that similar opportunity is going to be there for him in in twenty twenty, I would assume that even if the rushing yards like drop down a little bit, I would expect him to get at least a couple a couple of touchdowns this upcoming season. So I can see some of that positive touchdown regression coming in his favor. And I mean, the off season has just been completely riddled with stories about, I mean, the fact that, I mean, Yannick and uh, on the defensive side. I mean, he wants out as soon as possible. I mean, we saw their defense just completely crumble after Jalen Ramsey left. I mean, it's just, it's not the same defense that we saw try and make that playoff run once they, uh, completely, I guess, crumbled against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So with that, I mean, that's another, uh, that's another quarterback that I think is, again, hits a lot of those markers in terms of, uh, I guess meeting the profile for a breakout candidate so if you're looking for some of those late round targets I mean those are definitely two guys that I can see towards the end of the season making a push for high QB2 at the at the very least and depending on how the season takes it I mean I I can't see them winding up as QB1s but we've seen weirder things happen in fantasy football
1: yeah the position's deep so QB1's a stretch but you know even if they're high QB2s they're vastly outplaying their their ADP, and you're getting some really good production out of, of out of them based on where you're drafting them. Uh, a couple notes on what you said: I just checked his rushing yards. Minshew's rushing yards is actually 344 yards rushing with no there touchdowns. Did, yeah. yeah, so that I mean, that, not having a touchdown on that many rushing yards is pretty unusual. That was an interesting uh, situation there with Nick Foles going out. Um, I thought by the time you know week eight, the, you know, New, uh, New, uh, I said. New Jersey Jets, uh, the New York Jets, uh, 279 yards, three touchdowns. Um, he had eight carries and 28 yards for that, uh, 24 fantasy points. I thought he had like locked down that job, but they were, you know, they kept talking about Foles's return and would he be the starter? And then he went and had that meltdown. I think it was Houston, Mm -hmm. but it was in, it was in London. Yeah. If I remember correctly. And then he sat after the bye for two games and then came in, it looks like in relief against Tampa uh, and then close the season as a starter. And now there's like no talk about him not being the starter. Like, they're, it seems like they're ready to move forward with him as the franchise now that Foles is gone, um, which is just sort of interesting. I thought how that, I don't know how he had, I thought he had a stranglehold on, on the job. Um, you know, he had three straight games with two touchdowns. He was running, running around like crazy. The fans were loving him. And then uh, they benched him, which I thought was, which was fairly interesting. Uh, on Burrow, um, he, I have a quarterback, rookie quarterback model. Uh, it's a regression model that I use to get a starting point for rookie quarterbacks based on their college stats. And he came in um, with the highest com- uh, projected completion percentage, the second highest projected touchdown percentage, the fourth highest projected yards per attempt, and the fourth lowest uh, projected interception percentage in the 55-player sample that I looked at. I the, the regression model also projects him to run for 80, uh, 18 yards per game, which gives him that, that dual threat ability that you were talking about. Um, and I found that the the rushing yards prediction is actually, with this model, is actually really close to what actually happens uh, as rookies. So um, I'm expecting 15 to 20 yards rushing per game for him, which would give him a pretty good floor. Uh, and then he's got those all those weapons. And imagine if A.J. Green is still A.J. Green. Um, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins they drafted, Auden Tate, John Ross – Um, Joe Mixon at running back with Gio Bernard with a high volume offense we could definitely see him uh, finish with high-end QB2 numbers I do wonder with this weird offseason and no preseason games how quickly he comes out of the gate Um, but yeah definitely you know a lot of upside there with Burrow
2: yeah I'm loving the the idea that all of those, I mean, being surrounded by so much talent at at, at all the pass catchers. I mean, we didn't. I mean, C.J. Uzoma. I mean, just I mean, don't even don't even worry about it. But I mean, and, and all those other pass catchers surrounding him, it's it, it helps me, or at least it gets me excited that maybe all that talent can pull him into being a you know a strong fantasy starter. If it's like middle, if it's a mid range QB two, I'd be happy with that. But it just seems like again with. A.J. Green, Tyler, Boyd, Tyler Boyd, Auden Tate, T. I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm super hopeful that that can happen, but that might just be my fandom coming out.
1: Uh, Burrow was one of the uh, ten quarterbacks I mentioned in the uh, Drew Brees article, so he is actually a good pairing uh, with Brees as well. And you don't, wouldn't need him until Week Six potentially, so you let let him get five games under his belt before you actually roll him out there as a starter. And I think at that point you'd have a pretty good idea what you're going to get. From him. So let's move on to your uh, eight quarterbacks uh, strength of schedule beneficiaries and ideal late round pairings article. Um, is there a favorite committee quarterback by committee that you like?
2: Uh, I would say my favorite committee uh, at the beginning of the season because the way that I broke it down is uh, not necessarily looking at the entire season, but trying to harness it like by by pockets of the season, and that's kind of the way that I approach the redraft leagues in general. Is that like uh, if. I can start off the season hot. Once we get into, I guess, the live fire slash roller coaster that does become the fantasy season, I can start to make adjustments as as I need to because with bye weeks, injuries, trades, everything, just the life in general, something's going to happen to my squad. So at least at the early start, the two quarterbacks I'm liking out of, uh, like guess, out of the late round group uh, would probably be Teddy Bridgewater and Kirk Cousins. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater alone, I'm really excited about him. An article that I wrote uh, back in, I want to say it was either March or April, kind of highlights my thoughts of his impact uh, on the Carolina pa- uh, Carolina Panthers based off of uh, his five starts like when he came in for relief of Drew Brees. Then also what I see uh, both like Matt Rule and Joe Brady installing as like with the Panthers offense. And in a similar situation, I mean, we're just talking about Joe Burrow having all this talent at, at the pass-catching positions. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater definitely has the same thing. I mean, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, Ian Thomas. I mean, not even to mention Christian McCaffrey. I mean, so much is there that, again— can he can can those guys pull him into I guess starting quality fantasy talent and I I think that's the case and with Carolina starting off I mean the first two games against uh, against the Raiders and then uh, against Tampa Bay uh, then they play against the Chargers but then week four they play uh, Arizona week five they play at Atlanta so there's a number of decent matchups within the first like five or six weeks that you should have an idea of where that offense is at like in terms of the transition to the new quarterback the new coaching staff and what uh, and whatnot and then this uh, similar thing with uh, with With Kirk Cousins, I mean, now he doesn't have Stefan Diggs, but with Adam Thielen, I mean Dalvin Cook's still there. I mean if you still believe in Kyle Rudolph as old as he is. I mean but still they have a number of decent matchups as well using the adjusted fantasy points allowed metric from 4 for 4 uh, that you can kind of ba- like bounce off uh, each of those uh, each uh, each of their down weeks or weeks they might have some negative matchups and kind of come come away with uh, you know high end QB2 depending on if they wind up hitting their ceilings a possible QB1.
1: So you also talk about uh, streaming options, and I, I just wanted for listeners: it's a lot easier to stream when your league only typical uh, owner in your league only has you know one quarterback on his roster. But if he's everybody's got two or three, it gets tougher to, you know on the waiver wire to be finding good matchups because most of the players are rostered. So the league size, the roster size within the league, and then also player ten- owner tendencies can affect how easy it is to stream but I'm looking at the the schedule and I know you listed um Gardner Minshew as we talked about him but he's got a great start to the season Uh, Indianapolis uh, at Tennessee Miami at Cincy at Houston and Detroit before his bye in week seven that's a pretty easy start uh for a player that you're expecting you know potentially a breakout season from uh you also mentioned Drew Locke and then I want to also talk about uh tyrod taylor so why don't you talk a little bit about lock and then we'll get into taylor
2: yeah so uh drew Locke. so he starts off week one against tennessee uh they have to travel to pittsburgh within after that they're playing against tampa and then the jets who now especially with the loss of jamal adams should definitely be a target for every single redraft player i mean if you find a quarterback going up against the jets just start him, and then you'll probably wind up with something good. Uh, but with uh, with Drew Locke, I know the jury's still out. I mean, towards the end of the season, that's when he got when he started getting his starts against some of suspect defenses. Uh, they got trounced by Kansas City, but that was expected to happen anyway. Uh, but I think there's enough there, again, like with the addition of Jerry Judy. We've got Cortland Sutton, who, I mean, most folks would consider to be uh, one of the top receivers uh, in the game. Uh, and then now with the also the addition of Melvin Gordon uh and now with the i'm not necessarily a breakout but at least I would consider Noah Fan to be a breakout candidate at the tight end position uh, I think there's enough there that we should be excited about. If we're not excited about Drew Locke on a week-to-week basis, we should at least be excited about the players that are around him. So if you're using him as a streaming candidate and you know that they're going up some weaker defenses, and that's essentially how the streaming, uh, streaming process or strategy works, then I think that a number of those matchups that I just listed within the first six weeks should be ones that you can target.
1: Yeah. You really like to see uh, a team surround a quarterback with the type of weapons that, they surrounded him with or they have surrounded him with. So he's got all the tools there. It's just a matter of it coming together and how quickly it comes together. I mean, Judy's one of the best route runners in this class. Hamler's got speed to burn fans, got speed to burn and they added Melvin Gordon as well. So, uh, the, a lack of weapons is not an excuse for drew lock, whereas it might be an excuse for Aaron Rodgers. but that's another podcast. <laughs> um, and you probably I need a drink to mention, for that. Yeah. I probably need a couple drinks for that. Uh, I wanted to mention Tyrod Taylor, uh, head coach there um, blanking on his name, but he basically said Lynn. that he's the starter. Yeah. Anthony Lynn. So basically came out and, you know, confirmed what we thought that he's probably going to be the starter. Uh, maybe there is a competition there, but Tyrod Taylor knows he's, the system. He's been there for a couple seasons um, and he's ready to go. I look, I liked him when he was with Buffalo. Uh, there was two seasons where he actually had some weapons. There was one season where he didn't, his numbers suffered. Um, but you know, if you look at what he he, he is, that Konami code uh, player as well. So if he is getting these starts, um, he has that baseline rushing um, looking at his stats here. So looking at just 2015 and 2016, he had 18.5 fantasy points per game. And that's in large part uh, thanks to his 40 yards rushing, uh, 0.35 rushing touchdowns per game. Uh, he is also a very low interception player, 0.41 uh, interceptions per game. So the negative points really weren't, weren't there. He does get sacked a lot. Um, but that doesn't usually count against you in fantasy. Um, and he would throw for 1.28 touchdowns per game, which is not that fantastic, but when you add that rushing in, he's giving you a nice floor, and he can give you some very big weeks. Um, he was the number 15 fantasy quarterback in 2015. He was number 8, so he was a QB1 in 2016. And I like his receiving core. Uh, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, Hunter Henry. I mean, this is one of the better receiving cores in the league. You can't, Again, you can't complain about it if you're the quarterback. Um, and then, how long to me is how long does does he start? And that depends on how long they're in you know contention for a playoff spot. If they start off 0 and three, 0 and four, they might turn the keys over to the rookie. Um, but I'm looking at their um, schedule at Cincy, um, Kansas City, at home, Carolina at home, at Tampa, at New Orleans, uh, the Jets at Miami, Jacksonville, and then the Raiders. Uh, before the week 10 bye, so you could conceivably get nine pretty quality starts out of him there isn't i mean the one matchup i probably would worry about is the chiefs you know maybe the things go off the rails there um, but the rest of these games or maybe at new orleans would be a worry uh, but that's indoors and in what should be a high scoring game but the rest of these games look like they're pretty favorable matchups and he's being drafted as maybe qb 31 off the board um, dirt cheap. What do you think about Tyrod Taylor?
2: Actually, I really like that call. And uh, just looking at the ADPs of his patch pass catchers, like relative to his ADP, it mm-hmm. doesn't make a ton of sense. I mean, you've got Austin Eckler coming off in the the mid to late second round, Keenan Allen now going in the maybe fourth fifth round, Hunter Henry going around the same time. But then you've got Tyrod Taylor like all the way at the back end of your draft. I mean, and depending on which drafter, and he might he might go undrafted. I do not understand like how like what the what the mindset of the market is, such that we're excited about, I mean, three or four pass catchers like on that team, but yet there's zero love for for the quarterback position. Unless there, I guess there's been if there have been more stories about, well, we might uh, we might have Justin Herbert start or he might come in here. I mean, if there have been more stories like that where there is some sort of contra- QB controversy, I haven't seen them. So as of right now, my assumption is that Tyrod Taylor is the star. Harder, I mean, until I mean, the I mean, the bottom completely falls out. And especially I mean, but with that defense that the Chargers have, I mean, I just I don't see I, I guess I don't see the path to that happening within the first six or seven weeks of the of the year. So unless Tyrod Taylor is the issue, which hasn't been the case for for quite some time. I don't really. I, I see. Uh, to me, I, he becomes more of a value in the later rounds.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it is that. I think it's everybody's expecting him not to be the starter for very long if he is a starter at the start of the season. And I don't see them quickly moving on to the rookie unless the season just starts off horribly. Because I mean, if it was a bad team, we had no talent around him, or it just was a total rebuild, I could see them starting the rookie and just giving him giving Herbert uh, uh, as much. Playing time as possible to be ready for next season, but I think they have playoff aspirations with Tyrod Taylor, and they're going to play him as long as they're still in the hunt. And I think they could be in the hunt for a while. And um, if you're if you're going to stream, you're already comfortable with your quarterback in week one not being your quarterback in week ten mm-hmm. or week mm-hmm. six. So it doesn't matter if he's still the starter at that point. You're comfortable swapping that. Starting spot out amongst anybody who's got a good matchup that week, and I think Tyrod Taylor, you could pretty much draft your entire team. It depends on the size of the draft and whatnot, but you could draft your entire team and take him in the last round or the second last round, and uh, you've got your starting quarterback for the first few weeks. It's it's uh, kind of crazy to me, but I understand. Oh, he's going to give up his job. He's going to lose his job, and that just deflates his value so much. I guess maybe people are worried he's not going to start immediately, but I not Again, I haven't seen that. A news report either so I think that's where we are with with Tyrod Taylor so I want to I want to make a pitch for Ryan Tannehill I've got him you know he's QB 20 off the board I've got him I think at 15 um, I, I don't see a lot of love for him I you know I understand the argument is that they're a run-oriented team he was hyper efficient last year as far as his touchdown percentage his yards per attempt um, he came in and just basically tore it up from week seven on 22 Uh, points per game I think he was top three or four uh, from week seven on Um, so you don't usually see guys like that going QB 20 off the board Um, but my pitch for him and I wanted to see because you really didn't talk a whole lot about him in any of your articles or that I that I saw Um, but I I looked I looked at his stats with the Dolphins and 61 starts with the Dolphins playing for Adam Gase and Joe Philbin uh, he averaged 249 yards passing, 1.54 touchdowns, 0.87 interceptions. On, you know, pretty bad teams uh, to go along with 14 rushing yards, uh, 0.07 rushing touchdowns per game, which is not a lot. But you know, given his ability to run, and we saw it last year. I think he had three or four touchdowns uh, running last year. The 16.2 fantasy points per game that he generated with the you know in those 61 starts, it would have been the 17th highest uh, last season, and he's going QB 20. So to me, there's already value there. You're like, his floor is probably QB 17. Um, I mean, I guess it's the deep, you know, you got guys coming in Minshew, Burrow that could leapfrog and move up ahead of him. But, um, I mean, the, the production is nothing to write home about, but they were very suspect teams, poor conditions, you know, the wide receiver talent was spotty. Um, and now he's got a stud in AJ Brown, uh, Jonu Smith could be a stud. He's athletically a stud if they decide to use him. He's got a great running game to lean on if he needs to. Um, the yard, yards per attempt are going to regress, 9.6 uh, yards per attempt, touchdown percentage, 7.7% likely to regress. But I've got him at QB 15 with a yards per attempt of at 8.43, so a pretty significant regression. Touchdown mm-hmm. percentage of 4.5, a very significant uh, regression. But that's uh, still got him you know, kind of bordering on QB 1 numbers. What, what do you make of Tannehill?
2: Now that's interesting, uh, because even with because my approach to Tannehill, and this has been more qualitative than anything else, uh, has 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 really looked at factoring in that uh, that regression that you talked about, and maybe I am double counting because I I do I definitely understand at least uh, on a uh, on a attempt per game basis. Uh, Ryan Tannehill actually would have been up with a lot of the starters I had mentioned in terms of rushing within the red zone Uh, I guess the the one thing that I I will say though is that uh, that I'm I'm having trouble reconciling is that so Tennessee was at 56.9 percent like neutral passing rate and they wound up gave uh, giving uh, Derrick Henry his new deal so at least for for me it seems like they're they're just fine trying to run it back the same way that they operated in uh, in 2019 mm-hmm. so but but uh, so with that it's hard for me to see him attaining the same heights as he did in 2019 but from what you're telling me is that. He can still be a worthwhile fantasy starter. It's not like he's going to wind up at QB twenty with that regression. He can still finish as a viable QB two, which is something that I hadn't considered beforehand. So I think that with the way that he's being valued right now, most of the risk is already. I mean, it's it's negligible at, at that point. So I mean, you could. I mean, I still think that you can wind up drafting Ryan Tannehill and wind up capturing a lot of that value that a lot of folks might be. I guess overlooking when it comes to drafting uh, some of those quarterbacks in the later rounds.
1: I will say that he's got a a kind of a strange start. He's got at Denver, uh, which could be, you know, worries, a little worrisome Uh, Jacksonville at home, which probably should be fine at Minnesota. So that Minnesota defense has taken uh, some hits in terms of, you know, losing people in free agency Uh, probably won't be as good this, this season as it was in previous years. And then Pittsburgh at home, which is rough Buffalo at home, pretty rough. And then he's at Houston at home. And that's that week uh, six game where I would be using him for the first time uh, with Drew Brees if I did a committee. Uh, you know, having like, playing against Houston at home is a pretty prime spot for him. And his, his schedule after that lightens up pretty considerably. And I think he might be more of a stretch run player in a typical 12 team league where, you know, quarterbacks are hitting the waiver wire. Uh, you know, I've been drafting mostly best ball so i'm trying to get my committees together and i'm trying to get you know uh, groups of quarterbacks together and so i really do look at these these qb2s and qb3s and try to figure out who's going to break out or who's going to have a good good uh, production but seeing him at qb20 after what he did last year i think when you talked about the regression and maybe overestimating it i think that happens with a lot of players you have to sort of look at the regression um you know i, I pull up uh you know, quarterbacks that went over uh, nine yards per attempt or over, eight you know, 8.5 yards per attempt and how far did they fall the next season? And that's how I look at, okay, so I've got a pretty good ballpark of where this player should be this year, you know, after having maybe a career year last year. And I do think that there's a way for him to regress and still finish in the top 12 or top 15. Um, and, it, you know, he plays for a pretty good team. And you, you wonder about A.J. Brown in year two with what he did in year one. Does he, is he like unstoppable. And then what does new Smith do? Um, you know, you wish you had that third or fourth option. Uh you've got Adam Humphries and Corey Davis right now, a kind of man in those spots. You'd like to have maybe more weapons around him, but he's just mm-hmm. to, to me he jumps out as a you know an appealing pick there when there's nineteen quarterbacks off the board and he's still sitting there.
2: Well yeah, I think a lot of uh I think the tendency for just the general public or just the fantasy community at large is that we do tend to overestimate regression. I mean, like, almost, and that becomes a term that really doesn't have, like, a ton of meaning. We just say the word, and it just has this negative connotation. But we don't really know, like, how much it actually might affect a quarterback. Because we've been talking about Lamar Jackson regressing, but Lamar Jackson winds up being one of the first quarterbacks taken off the board. So Mm -hmm. really, how much do we really value regression? It's really about how much do we value that player, to me, because if if we're expecting both Lamar Jackson and Ryan Tannehill to regress I mean Ryan Tannehill seems to be the one hit with the regression stick and not really Lamar Jackson
1: yeah and I think that's a that's a function of Lamar Jackson being still being an ascending passer you know he's still getting better and he's still understanding how to be an NFL quarterback and that's why he gets a pass whereas Ryan Tannehill doesn't but I just look at Tannehill's history in Miami he had some good fantasy seasons there he's got that Konami code sort of you know that I guess it's sort of like Aaron Rodgers, where he can run. I think they did I don't. You might want to look at his design runs. I haven't really thought about that with with Tannehill. I remember him running quite a bit last year, um, but maybe interesting to see too if they design runs for him because that would certainly add to his floor. Mm-hmm. Because we can we can't uh, as I think you told me you can't really predict scrambles, but you can predict those design those design carries. So it's just a it's just something for people to think about. We're doing the quarterback uh, episode, and I wanted to talk about Brian Tannehill. So you can sue me, you can complain about me in the in the in the ratings uh, <laughs> listeners out there you can give me a one star for all this time yeah. i'll talk um all right so but we mainly talk about quarterbacks today so i want to give you an opportunity um maybe to give me your favorite sleeper at or you know under you know, underrated player or whatever whoever you think p- the, the public's sleeping on at running back wide receiver and tight end
2: uh so i guess we'll just start off at the at the running back position and there are, there are quite a few that I'm seeing that are going off the board in the, the late, late rounds of uh, a lot of the FFP, FFPC drafts that I've been a part of. And one that kind of sticks out to me that I'm not 100% sure on their situation, but I can I can see them having at least solid uh, RB2 value. Uh, would be uh, Joshua Kelly with the LA Chargers, and I know like Justin Jackson, he's been the he's been the incumbent to to back up Austin Eckler, but I mean we've we've been through a couple of seasons now, like where he's wound up missing like uh, some significant time with injuries, and I don't, I'm not I'm not 100% convinced that he winds up I guess locking up that job to the point where. Uh, Josh, Josh Kelly has like zero value at all. So he's one of those guys that where I see, I see Austin Eckler uh, as being a part of the committee regardless, but who that RB two is. And I think whoever that RB two is should have a decent amount of value throughout the entire, throughout the entire season. Uh, I can bet on that being the, 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 the rookie that's kind of walking into that position, at least being able to challenge Justin Jackson for, for touches. And I mean, Josh McKelly isn't a horrible pass catcher himself. So I, I think there's a, there's a path to him at least beating out that ADP, which is essentially nothing at this point.
1: Yeah, and I would just chime in. I took him as my uh, I don't know thirteenth round pick in Pros versus Joes, and I had Eckler in the second round. And you know I got criticized by Pete Overzet that it was a handcuff, but I was looking at it more like okay, Eckler is going to be a different type of you know second round running back, I and mean, he's not going to get 230, 40, carries probably and he may not get the goal line work and if there's going to be somebody getting the goal line work that's not him it's going to be Kelly so I thought there might be some weeks where you know he scores one or two touchdowns and and gets 40 or 50 yards as the backup there and he might be in the starting lineup in my best ball format with with Eckler so I think he's actually there is it is to be determined if he's the RB2 there I don't think it's obvious that he is but there are a lot of you know analysts out there that I respect that really like Josh Kelly
2: Yeah, I think there's, I think with the, with, I guess, again, as much as we're leaning on. I guess, not leaning on Tyrod Taylor with our earlier discussion. I mean, we should be excited about all the players that at least are still a part of that Chargers offense. And I think if we're excited with Austin Eckler and we know that he's going to be a part of a committee, then I think putting your chip on either one of those two, Justin Jackson or Josh Kelly, like would probably be the the smart thing to do. And just in this in this case, since we've already seen Jackson's like body of work so far, which isn't a ton, I'm kind of leaning towards the rookie at this point.
1: All right. How about your wide receiver? Do you want to
2: talk about? Uh, so at wide receiver, I I, I I really want to say Corey Davis just because I've been a Corey Davis <laughs> truther for a number of years, but it just it pains me to say it at this point. So before I guess before I wind up I guess embarrassing myself even further, um, I will say that I still I'm still enthusiastic about Auden Tate, like even even in 2020. I mean we're talking about the Cincinnati offense uh, earlier, and I'm I'm imagining. Uh, a, at least at the start of the season, uh, with as much as the with as much transition as going into that offense right now with adding Joe Burrow, uh, I can see three wide receiver sets being Tyler Boyd in the slot, AJ Green kind of either playing outside or rotating into the slot, and I see Auden Tate with that uh, at least starting off the season as being the prime uh, the other wide receiver playing outside. I mean, he actually, I mean for. All of the, I guess, the the negative things that we remember from Auden Tate two seasons ago. I mean, in 2019, he actually played a decent facsimile of A.J. Green, like with A.J. Green being down. I mean, high contested catch rate. I mean, actually had a, a decent split. Uh within, like, a decent slot rate, like, in 2019 as well. So I can see him starting off the season playing opposite A.J. Green with Tyler Boyd in the slot, and then, I mean, with rotating T. Higgins, John Ross, like, uh, in, in behind him uh, alongside of him. But with that offense, with the volume we discussed that should be inherent to that offense week in and week out, I'm kind of liking Auden Tate, like, with, uh, as, a, as a deep shot. Like, uh, I mean, since his ADP, again, is almost, I mean, it's nothing.
1: His ADP is, an, is a dash, I mean, yeah. it's not. <laughs> yeah, he's not being drafted. But you also have a little bit of AJ Green upside there too. If Green can't play or something happens with him, all of a sudden Tate might be a sixty, seventy, eighty percent player deep into the season because you know he's ahead of Higgins and Ross. So uh, I like the call. What about tight end?
2: Uh, so I'm I'm getting on to that Dan Arnold train. All right, uh, choo I, I choo. Just, yeah, I might as well. I mean, but the thing is, though. I, uh, I mean so much of the Cardinals offense is predicated on like the, just the wide receivers. I mean, they're talking about three, four wide receiver sets, like so on and so forth. And like the Arizona tight ends, they only had, I think something short of 11% of the entire team's target share last season, which was, I want to say like towards the bottom, if not at like the lowest in the league. So it's, it's not a ton to get excited about, but then when you look at Arnold's measurables and then you match that up with what, I mean, with how Kyler Murray likes to operate, I mean I I could see him like making a splash like here and there. And so if it's not I mean the the normal uh I guess the the tight ends that the quote unquote sleepers at tight end that nobody wants to talk about but everybody drafts and you know, like Blake Jarwin and so on and so forth. Uh, I I kind of like him as one of those like you know late late round dart throws. I mean more so than Darren Fells and uh Devin Aziasi and like some of those other guys. I mean I just I like players tied to good offenses with good quarterbacks and not to say that none of those guys are tied to bad offenses with bad quarterbacks but again with when it comes to arnold and his situation i kind of like you know seeing trying to get another piece of uh, kyler murray's offense
1: yeah he's actually somebody that i've been targeting in the final round maybe second to last round in these um these best balls at ffpc where you get the extra point for the extra half point for the tight ends Um, Just looking at what he did late late last year, one for six and a touchdown on one target after being picked up off of waivers, uh, one for 20 on three targets, and then four for 76 and a touchdown on six targets. He played 18%, 26%, and then 44% of the snaps, so obviously was impressing uh, the coaching staff there enough to get extra extra playing time. And then uh, Max Williams is there. Uh, Max Williams is a good run blocker. Um, but, uh, you know, Arnold didn't start those, that last game, but he almost matched him in routes run 28 to 32 over the final two weeks of the season. Um, and he also went to UW Platteville, which is my, uh, alma mater. So I have to, I have to tout him a little bit. Uh, the one note on him though, um, Marcus Gilbert, uh, opted out for the season. So you wonder about that offensive line a little bit now, and if they're going to be able to. Mm -hmm. Uh, to have five guys running out in routes. Uh, so that's something to to, to monitor as this COVID opt-out period, um, continues. So I just want to say thank you to Chris for coming on. Uh, so thank you. Uh, again, you can find him on Twitter at Chris Allen F F W X. Uh, you should have about 10 times as many follows as you do. So please everybody out there listening, uh, get them from 3,500 to 35,000. Um, I'm sure this podcast will put you over the top. Um, so, thanks for coming on. Um now I want to bring on TJ Hernandez.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me, JP. Uh, excited to talk about my guy uh, Josh Allen a little bit.
1: I was going to say you're on here today to do one thing and one thing only and that's to talk about Josh Allen. <laughs> I had to have you on the the Quarterback Strategy podcast after your incendiary article <laughs> entitled Josh Allen can be the next can be this year's Lamar Jackson, which I yeah. believe set the fantasy football Twitter on fire. It got me
3: a little heat for uh, for a few weeks. Uh, it's it's <laughs> since died down, but I'm sure now that we're getting into draft season, it'll pick back up.
1: You know, some, yeah, some people, they post, you know, t- titles to articles that try to draw clicks or whatever. But I, I read your research, and it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, you did a bunch of research on Josh Allen, and that, that research sort of drove this opinion home. Um, it convinced you that, this, that he does have this potential. It's not that you started there and tried to find – research that supported that, you, you let the data drive your opinion, right?
3: Yeah, I, I definitely didn't start there. I mean, I, I um, it was spurred by by a couple um, other analysts. Really, I heard uh, back in March, Evan Silva and Adam Levitan talking about Josh Allen as a dark horse MVP candidate um and and of course that's kind of a different subject um back then he was getting i think he was like plus five thousand i think it's uh depending where you're at it's somewhere between uh plus three thousand and plus five thousand but that kind of got the wheel spinning and then i saw matt harman talking about how much stefan Diggs is going to boost this passing offense so i said if there's these three smart guys talking about this bill's offense this way maybe i should do some digging um and i did that and i realized hey um there are I think there are seven quarterbacks um, that have quarterback one overall potential uh, in their range of outcomes, like realistically the overall QB one. Um, And I think people kind of see the top six, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Dak, Kyler, uh, Russ Wilson, Sean Watson. I think that's obvious. Um, And I think, I think Josh Allen should be included in that group.
1: So he's that number seven guy. He's my number seven guy uh, in my rankings. And I tend to agree with your, Assessment After reading your article, you made a lot of good points. Uh, you mentioned Stefan Diggs, so I'll just get this out of the way. Yeah. I've been really thinking about, you know, I, I don't know how many millions of times I've said that free agent wide receivers don't do as well sure. when they change teams um, unless they're getting a quarterback upgrade mm-hmm. or they're uh, getting a role upgrade. Right. Um, that came from my research on free agent receivers. But one thing I haven't studied yet, and I think I probably need to, is the effect on a quarterback of a stud receiver like Stefan Diggs coming to this passing offense. Like, how much is this going to help uh, Josh Allen's completion percentage? How much is this going to help his deep ball passing, his yards per attempt, all that stuff? That's the big, uh, you know, question mark in my head. I wish mm-hmm. I had data to, um, you know, support bumping up up his numbers to a certain level based on historical uh, trends. But this, this definitely is a case study of, you know, how a player like Diggs can help uh, a Josh Allen.
3: Yeah and and I mean really if we just think about from um from a real football perspective like what have the Bills been trying to do um, and and what are they continuing to do to build that uh, Josh Allen even though he hasn't been um, accurate he does throw the deep ball a lot and we've seen that in Brian Deball's offense he's very similar to a Greg Roman where even though he isn't going to throw the ball a lot when he is he's going to take shots I talked about that um, in an offensive coordinator article I released on 444 4 a couple weeks ago and if you're going to be a play caller that is going to do that you obviously want a quarterback that's willing to do that Josh Allen is that and you want weapons uh, that can support that kind of offense we already know know john brown can do that uh john brown was actually he was actually top six in the league in um target share on throws 15 uh, or more yards downfield. So the Bills threw downfield a lot last year, but really they didn't have any weapons outside of John Brown. Now they add in Stephon Diggs uh, along with John Brown is one of the top wide receivers in terms of uh, air yards per target. So now this Bills offense has two very good deep weapons. Uh, so regardless of if Diggs is going from, from a fantasy perspective, if he's going to improve from the Vikings to the Bills, is yet to be seen. But I think it's undeniable that now they have two very good weapons that can support what they want to do when they do throw the ball
1: all right one of the things you talked about i mean we, we know he can run the ball so mm-hmm. let's just skip the rushing yeah. ability i mean you're not saying that he's lamar jackson as far as right. being a runner but he does run the ball well and we want that konami code yeah. upside in our quarterbacks if possible okay so let's talk about uh passing tendencies which you touched on. but let's talk about the accuracy standpoint when you talk yep. about uh, lamar jackson versus uh josh allen how, yep. how, do, how do they compare
3: yeah, I thought this was important to bring up, and and I think where a lot of people, and the reason kind of this the the article is, is titled this key that uh, Josh Allen can be this year's Lamar Jackson, isn't that I th- I think he's going to be as good of a quarterback or as good of a quarterback as Lamar Jackson, but the kind of the thesis is if he is going to have a QB one season, how is he going to do it? He's going to do it with a lot of rushing. He's going to do it with the rushing touchdowns and he's going to have to have an outlier season in terms of passing. Um, and kind of the point that I made in comparing these two is that Lamar Jackson did just that last year without being insanely accurate. And I know a lot of people will, uh, when they say they watch film, I, I, I think 99% of people mean, mean they watched highlights. So yeah, of course those highlights are going to look really good. And you see Lamar Jackson throwing dimes. But uh, if we, if, if we break it down on actual accuracy numbers, and I use Sports Info Solutions on target percentage for these accuracy numbers, we see that Josh Allen was actually um, more accurate than Lamar Jackson if we break it up into buckets. I broke the buckets up into passes of 10 yards or less, passes of 10 to 15 air yards, 15 to 20, and 20 plus air yards. In every category except for throws of 10 or less air yards, where almost every quarterback is going to be insanely accurate, somewhere around 80% or above, uh, John Josh Allen was more accurate than Lamar Jackson. Now, uh, you've pointed out that depending on what kind of accuracy metric you look at, those numbers might fluctuate a little bit. Uh, Every site tracks these numbers a little different. But the point here is that Lamar Jackson, in a very well-respected accuracy metric that is used uh, at 4-for-4 and by a lot of other well-renowned sites, um, Lamar Jackson didn't grade out well as an accurate passer and was still able to have this insanely good fantasy season Uh, and a lot of that was because he was successful in deep ball he had a 16% uh, touchdown rate on passes of 15 or more air yards so uh, we've seen it with Lamar last year Um, I think it was a lot more obvious with Cam Newton back in 15 because like Josh Allen uh, Cam Newton is that perennial sub 60% completion rate passer but uh, like these two guys he put together a 30-touchdown uh, uh, p- passing and 10-touchdown rushing season, and that's kind of what we're looking for and I think what's in the range of outcomes for Josh Allen.
1: Yeah, I think I'm conditioned by seeing those uh, cut-ups of Josh Allen missing his uh, mm-hmm. deep ball attempts by like 10 or more yards. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you did mention it. I just wanted to mention it as well. If you go to PFF, they're deep ball adjusted uh completion percentage uh, are different than sports Info solutions. Mm-hmm. I would like to like get to the bottom of that and find yeah. out what you know what the differences is but, uh, or are but uh, Lamar Jackson 41.8% there and Josh Allen 309 mm-hmm. uh, percent there so he had a fairly low uh, NFL uh, quarterback rating or whatever mm-hmm. due to that so but your point is on deep balls if he improves at all or has more luck or um, Stefan Diggs you know helps him. Uh, then his scoring rate could climb significantly, could double, and that might sure. put him in the top three, top four, or maybe you know, key B1 um, overall. So uh, you mentioned the MVP uh, yeah. end of season, uh, versus end of season fantasy rate. Do you want to touch on that at all?
3: Um, sure. I, I mean, the as I mentioned at the beginning, um, Evan Silva and Adam Levitan kind of mentioned Josh Allen as a dark horse uh, MVP candidate. Um, and, and, they were talking about um, you know betting but I thought what does that mean for real football and what does that mean um, for fantasy and when the the first thing that we need to know is that usually if if a quarterback it's usually gonna be a quarterback um, Nine of the last 10 MVPs have been quarterbacks um, if they're going to win the MVP it's usually gonna be on a very good team Um of the last nine MVPs, all of the quarterbacks have uh, come from a winning team and uh, eight of them have come from teams with 10 plus wins. The bills are uh, now in a division without Tom Brady. Um, The Patriots did re jump to favorites in the division with Cam Newton, but bills and, and Patriots are still very close there and outside of the chiefs and the Ravens, the AFC is wide open. Uh, And even though on the full scale Uh, Buffalo has a very tough schedule. It's actually backloaded. So uh, Buffalo has, uh, they start with 10 relatively easy games, both, um, uh, in real life and from a defensive matchup perspective. And then they get a week 11 bye before they get their tough stretch of defenses and tough teams. And by then, I mean, who knows what, what it looks like, like, are these teams even still good and mixed in to that, uh, to that early season schedule is a matchup with the chiefs. So, Um, Not only could, could Buffalo like go into week 11, really rolling, but there's a chance they could have a win over the chiefs. And if, if all those things are working out, um, then Josh Allen could be a potential MVP candidate. And if we look where uh, MVPs have finished um, in, in fantasy talking about those uh, those quarterbacks again, uh, all of those, those quarterbacks that we've talked about in the past uh, nine MVPs finished top four quarterbacks with uh, six of them finishing as QB one overalls.
1: So I'm looking at the same schedule you are. Um, I noticed the same thing. You've got some red matchups, some bad matchups after the buy. You know, planning ahead. I guess you can see where you are. You've got 11 or 10 weeks to plan. Uh, you need somebody for his buy. Uh, you might be looking for somebody potentially for week 13 at San Francisco. That might be a tough one. And week 14 against Pittsburgh at home. That might be a tough one. One thing else. The other thing I want to note, note on this is that New England no longer looks as tough of a matchup Mm -hmm. uh, given their opt-outs that they're experiencing um, that defense is not to be as feared as it maybe once was going to be Um, so that I think also boosts uh, Josh Allen's floor a little bit this season and like you said I mean it's New Jersey or New Jersey (laughs) the Jets New York Jets uh, the Dolphins the Raiders uh, or the uh, Rams the Raiders the Titans, the Chiefs, the Jets again. Then New England, that's maybe your first really tough one. Yep. Uh, Seattle and then at Arizona uh, before the bye. So uh, it looks like a really strong start for, for Josh Allen. We'll see how he gets out of the gates in the, the first couple of weeks.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's just a matter of, of, like you talked about earlier, uh, those deep passes, they're, they're extremely high variance, but all of a sudden the Bills kind of have the weapons to, uh, to kind of capitalize on the high end of that variance.
1: Okay, to sum up, he's got maybe the best receiver duo in the league with Stefan Diggs, uh, John Brown. He's also uh, got uh, Cole Beasley, an up-and-coming tight end potentially, and uh, Dawson Knox. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deep throws are high variance, so if he starts hitting those, watch out. Massive rushing upside, which we saw last year, uh, has a tendency to run for a lot of touchdowns, although I think some of that might have been the ineffectiveness of the Bills running backs uh, getting at the goal line. I saw a tweet about that. Um, And then the Bills can win 10-plus games, so that usually involves a lot of good quarterback play uh, yep. to get there. So uh, thank you, TJ, for coming on and uh, convincing me that uh, Josh Allen's going to be the next uh, Lamar Jackson.
3: Yeah, uh, go Bills. <laughs> All
1: right, that does it for the pod. Uh, follow TJ uh, at TJ Hernandez on Twitter. Uh, also follow Chris Allen at Chris Allen FFWX on Twitter, and we'll see you next time in the Most Accurate Podcast. I love you more than I can talk about. Talk about you loving.
0: Never